Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Some countries that you go to, this is more precious than money. Has ever, anyone ever been to a country where you treasure bottled water? Because <laughs> you know that if you drink from the tap, bad things will follow. I've been to China in 2014. It was my first international trip. And I remember my lips were so personally, uh, so, what am I trying to say? Firmly pursed together when I had a shower. I didn't want a drop of water getting in my mouth. So as I'm there showering, because you were allowed to shower, I made sure every... <laughs> I was about to say every orifice, that's probably a bit inappropriate. Every, every part of me that could take water into my stomach was firmly closed shut because I just did not want to intake any of the water. The, uh, the, the pork sandwich on the, the street food that ended up making me sick was, was a different story. But the water itself, the water itself, I, I made sure I had a big supply of these bottles because they were like gold. They were like gold. If I had drunk the water in China, I would have been very, very ill. You've been to countries like this before. It was a different story, and yes, this is a boast where I tell you about how well-traveled I am. I was able to go to New York in 2018, and they've got signs that like boast about how fresh their water is. Anyone been to New York? There's a few, and you, and you see signs, or I don't know if you, you notice these signs, but there's signs, please drink the water out of the tap because it is the best water on earth. Everything in America is the best on earth, but the water was fantastic. And it was true, as I drank from the tap in New York, I thought this is amazing water. They were proud of it doesn't change the fact that some countries, though, when the water comes out of the tap, if you drink it, you will make yourself very sick. And this has been a problem throughout history, and it was a problem for the city of Laodicea. They had a water problem. If you drank the water in Laodicea, you would get sick. And this is the city in which the church, Jesus decided, I'm going to plonk a church in Laodicea, and he writes a letter to them that we're going to look at today, this place where the, they had a water problem. I'm going to get Braden to come and read it to us. So let's welcome Braden. He's been waiting backstage there. There you go, mate. This is the, uh, the last letter. So you are one of the privileged five to be able to read this letter. I've just put a whole lot of water on there. So let me move that. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be, be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Excellent, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Is this one, this one still not working? Hello, hello. 
Yeah, brand new mics and they're not working. What's going on? That's all right. I love uh, the sign-off in that. And that's the last of the seven letters. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just make sure your ears are there. And still got ears. There's spiritual ears as well to hear what Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is saying. We need to notice straight off the bat here for the church at Laodicea, there is no positive words. There are no positive words. Jesus has nothing, you can say this, Jesus has nothing good to say about the church in Laodicea. Now this should make us a little bit nervous because we also need to see how much of all the churches Laodicea most resembles the church of 2022 in the West. This should make us a bit nervous. This should make us sort of lean in with our spiritual ears to go, Jesus, we don't want to miss what you want to say to us today. The problems that the Laodicean Christians faced were the same, the the temptations they faced, the distractions they faced, the things that they relied on and depended upon. If you made a list of that, it would be very close to the list that the church in Australia, churches like ours, are in danger, are tempted to rely upon as well. So let us hear what the Spirit says to the church. As I've done each week, let's just work through this uh, sentence by sentence, verse by verse, to hear what God would say to us today. So this is how this letter starts off. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So you've got three titles that Jesus is calling himself here, that he's reminding the church at Laodicea of who he is. Now, let me go through the three. The three, that, if you didn't catch them, amen, faithful and true witness, ruler of God's creation. These aren't things that he just felt like saying in a moment. They're, well, what should I go with this time? I'll go with this. Um, they, these are really important statements about who Jesus is. And there's some references to prophetic Old Testament verses about who Jesus is that he wants to remind the Laodicean creatures, Christians, and wants to remind us today, the first thing he calls himself is a bit weird because he calls himself something that we say at the end of our prayers, amen. Jesus is calling himself the amen. There's only one other place in scripture where amen is used as a name and it's in Isaiah 65. And Isaiah in this, if you want to read an uplifting, beautiful verse that reminds you of what's coming, like by the way, we had an election yesterday. You all know about that? It's change of government. And I don't, know, I don't know where you sit on the spectrum. In fact, we talked about this and we thought, let's not go there, but I'm going there now. I don't know where you sit on the spectrum. But hey, if you worship Jesus, you are part of a kingdom that will never end. Your hope shouldn't be in government. Your hope should be in Jesus. Okay? Let's just remind you of that and then we'll move on. But when, when, when Isaiah writes prophetically about the future in Isaiah 65, he's talking about what will happen when Jesus comes back in the time that we're in now. When Jesus comes back and restores the earth, the heavens and the earth, brings the new heavens and the new earth, gets rid of sin, gets rid of injustice, gets rid of death, gets rid of suffering, gets rid of all of that. Read Isaiah 65 and see, and the person who will do this is the Amen. So Jesus, when he calls himself here the Amen, he's reminding us, reminding the Laodicean Christians and and reminding us as well that he is the one that will bring this about. He is the one who we trust. He is the one who our hope is in. That when he comes back, everything will be made right. And if you have faith in him and you trust him and you serve him now, you'll be part of that renewed earth 
that new heaven and new earth, a thing that we all hold out for because we say, Jesus, come. Jesus, come and do that. We see the state of our world and we long for you to make it right. He is the amen. The next two kind of go together, the faithful and true witness and the ruler of God's creation. This is if you go back to the start of Revelation and the fifth verse of the first chapter, you'll see that this is a description that John uses of Jesus as well, in in that place as well. And what he's doing there, as he's doing here in this letter, is he's quoting from Psalm 89. And a bit similar to Isaiah 65, Psalm 89 describes the king who's going to be appointed by God to rule over all creation. This is the one prophetically promised. It wasn't, everyone thought, oh, maybe David. No, David wasn't it. And all the kings, they all disappointed. But there was one coming who would rule perfectly, who would rule not only perfectly, but for all eternity. And it was Jesus. So Jesus is reminding us and reminding them, this is who I am. This is the one in whom, I am the one who I'm inviting you into relationship with me. You are my church, you belong to me and I am the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I don't have the words right now to communicate to you the glory and power of the one we worship. Like I, when, as, I'm, as I'm saying this stuff, what I, what I long to see happen is us just fall down in absolute awe and wonder of who Jesus is but I can't manufacture that. I don't have the words. I don't have the capacity to be able to draw you into that. Only the Spirit can do that. But this is who Jesus is reminding us of who He is. This is the one we serve. This is the one who this church belongs to. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all creation. And so when He speaks, we should be listening. He goes on to say, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Is there a more disturbing verse in Scripture? I'm not sure. You know, up until this series and up until preaching this letter, I'd only ever heard uh, this reference to lukewarmness as a spiritual apathy. Like if you think of a scale and down here is cold and right up here is hot and this is like 10 out of 10 spirituality. This is 10 out of 10 on fire for Jesus and cold is like one to zero out of 10 towards Jesus. Let's say zero out of 10 to Jesus. And so lukewarm would be somewhere in the middle, like three to six sort of area. This is like lukewarm. That's what I thought was going on here. Jesus was talking about uh, a spiritual temperature hot being good, cold being completely disinterested and rejecting of Jesus. But it actually doesn't make much sense because Jesus is saying, I'd prefer you to be cold than lukewarm. I'd prefer you to be a zero out of 10 than a four or five out of 10, which doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense of Jesus' grace. It doesn't make sense. Like I think he'd love a four or five out of 10 in comparison to a zero. It, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to read it that way. And if you've ever read it that way, I hope you'll see it in a new light today like I have. And we understand what Jesus is getting at here when we understand what I said earlier. Laodicea had a water problem. The water, if you drank it in Laodicea, would make you sick. What they would do in Laodicea back in that day is that they would literally pipe water in from two neighbouring cities, Hierapolis, Hierapolis, to the north, they had this hot water 
probably from underground springs that they thought had medicinal qualities. So when you drank, when you drank this water, it would make you feel good. It would, it would lift your, your uh, inner health and would make you a more healthy person. So they'd bring that water in. If you're happy, we'll buy it off you. We'll bring it in through aqueducts and pipes and we'll bring that in because we want some of that water because the water we've got in Laodicea is terrible. Colossae was to the east and they had really cold water, like super cold water that was thought to be to give health benefits as well. So Hierapolis in the north, Colossae in the east, let's bring this water in to Laodicea so that we can get some drinkable water. The problem was... As they piped it in, two things would happen along the way. Firstly, the temperature would change. If you could just, this is just logical. If you've got hot water there and you're trying to ship it along a pipe, the temperature is going to change as it gets closer to Laodicea. The hot would become lukewarm. Same thing with the cold water. As they ship that in from, or pipe that in from Colossae, that water would warm up along the way and become lukewarm as well. Not only that, though, the second thing that would happen is along these pipes, the water would mix in with all the unsavory stuff inside the pipes. And so when the water would get there, it was non-drinkable as well. So not, not only the, the, the wells that were in Laodicea and the underground water not good, the water that they would ship in was not good either. So for all of its prosperity, Laodicea had water that would make people sick. Hear what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying... I don't like your spiritual temperature. Jesus is saying, your version of faith in me makes me sick. We use that phrase sometimes and it's never good to be on the receiving end of someone saying that about you. I know that the times when people have said that to me, usually when I think about it, my older sister is the one who has said it to me more times than anyone else. Not, not recently, but when we were younger. But when someone is doing something and you say, that makes me sick, it's, it's pretty aggressive. Like it's really harsh. Like you're saying that their behavior is disgusting. Your behavior, their behavior is deplorable. I look at that and I feel ill with the way that you're going about things. Jesus is saying, my people in Laodicea, when I look at you, <laughs> I feel sick. I feel like I want to vomit. So what was it then? What was it at this church in Laodicea that made Jesus sick? Let's keep reading. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Like some of the other cities, some of the other churches uh, that Jesus writes to, Laodicea was a city of prosperity. It was a wealthy city, despite its water problems. And the two things they had that put them on the map was they had a thriving textile industry, making clothes, manufacturing clothes. And they had developed this eye ointment known as Phrygian powder. Can you say Phrygian? Phrygian powder, spelt with a PH. So between those two things, Laodicea was quite prosperous and quite wealthy. And the church within that city had made the dangerous mistake of believing that their material prosperity was a fair indicator of their spiritual health. Because they were materially wealthy, they thought God has blessed us 
we're doing well. Look at all this stuff we have. Look at all this money we have. Look at all these resources we have. God has clearly blessed us. And they made this dangerous mistake that that was an indicator of their spiritual health. God's riches to the Laodicean Christians was measured by material riches because they said, we do not need a thing. Look how much God has blessed us. As you dig into these two words, rich and wealthy, as we understand them today, we just think, yep, rich and wealthy. You know, what's, what's wrong with that, being rich and wealthy? But if you dig down into these two words in the Greek language that this is written in, these two words are associated with idolatry. And what that means at the time is people are making their wealth off engaging in idolatrous economic practice. So the way they're making money is through partnering with people who are worshipping false gods and all that sort of thing, and they're deriving their wealth uh, generated from false gods and worshipping idols. Jesus exposes them, he exposes their flawed thinking, and in doing that reveals their true spiritual state. You make me sick, he says. This is harsh. At this point, let me remind you what I said a couple of weeks ago. Whenever Jesus seems like he's being harsh, and I think this one takes the cake. Whenever Jesus seems like he's being harsh, he's always trying to maneuver us into receiving his love and grace. It's never a a, a final condemnation. I'm done with you. You make me sick. Get out of my presence. Jesus never, even when he sounds harsh, and this is, I reckon, some of his harshest words. He's always trying to maneuver us to receive his love and grace. But he's saying to them, you you can't buy your way into favor with me. Material resources, material wealth and prosperity is no sign, no indicator of spiritual health and dependence and love for God. The clothes, he goes on to say, the clothes and the salve that he offers them. Now, what's interesting, if you think again about the textile industry that they made all their money from and this eye ointment that they'd got a hold of, it gives some cultural idea of why Jesus mentions these two things. Put on clothes that I'm offering you. Take eye ointment that I'm offering you so your spiritual eyes will be open so that you'll see how wretched, poor, pitiful, naked you really are. Come and buy from me. Don't buy from those other gods. Don't go out there and engage in everything that's going on out there and think that that's me blessing you. No, fall at my feet and I will give you clothes that will not rot. I'll give you ointment that will give you spiritual vision to see my glory and fall at my feet once again. This is the only way that you can bring spiritual life and vitality back into your church. The church at Laodicea had become, I think at best, complacent. Complacency defined is this, showing smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements. The church at Laodicea was a complacent church. And I wonder, do you need me to connect the dots for you? I wonder if you can start to see how this church so closely resembles modern churches in our country in 2022. What we've become reliant upon, what we've become dependent upon, how we engage and chase after wealth, often not motivated by a desire to be generous, but 
to be generous to ourselves. And like I said at the beginning, this is a mirror for me as much as for you. And if you, if you, if you were to Google how often Jesus talks about the dangers of money in the Bible, you would find a whole list of verses. He talks about it all the time, the dangers of wealth and the importance of stewarding wealth for God's glory, lest it consume you. Let me give you one example, just one of many, Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. It's Jesus speaking. You can't do it. Jesus does tell some people to go and sell all they have and give the profits to the poor. And I think he does that when he sees in the person this danger. You have become dependent on money and your interest in God is simply a stamp of approval. Your interest in God is simply to say, well, no, that's cool, I've blessed you. Your interest in God is simply to say, yep, keep building that wealth because it's my blessing for you and you can live a good life. When Jesus sees that in people who come to him, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to deal with this idol in your life. You need to go and sell everything you have and give the money to the poor and then come follow me. Your wealth has become a blocker between you and me and you need to get rid of it. But he doesn't say that to everybody. He doesn't say that to everybody. This is important because wealth is not evil. To be rich is not sinful. Unless it's become idolatry. Unless it's become something we worship because even here in this church this letter to the church at Laodicea his solution for their problem is not to get rid of all their wealth he doesn't say to them you think you are you think you have it all well here's what you need to do is go and get rid of all that donate the money to the poor then move out to the desert and start praying every day that's what you need to do and you need to follow me he doesn't say that to them and he doesn't say that to everyone who is rich I love how a bloke called G.K. Beale, how he puts it in terms of how we as followers of Jesus need to handle prosperity and wealth and riches. He says a Christian's prosperity is measured by how much he gives rather than by how much he has. It's not about what's in your hand, it's about how tight your grip is on it. Let's keep reading this letter. Verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And here it is again. The harshness of Jesus' tone is always to maneuver us to receive love and mercy. And this is, if you can see a positive in this letter, it's that, I'm saying this to you because I love you. Like a good parent who disciplines their children, I'm saying this to you because I love you and I want you to see me as I truly am and remind you of what how you've moved away from me. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And see the picture here. We need to understand this picture, this church this church that is gathering like we are gathered now in whatever capacity it was back then, they're gathering together and they are celebrating their church. They're happy with themselves. They feel blessed. 
They feel prosperous. They feel like they're a good church. See the picture that Jesus is on the outside of the building. Jesus isn't there. Jesus isn't present. While this church is so focused on celebrating their good, the goodness, the good things that, is, that are happening among them, Jesus is on the outside of the building. Now, if it's me, if you were to come to me, if there was a contingent of you guys who were elected, say five of you were elected by the rest to say, can you go to Sam and say, we don't want you to be our pastor anymore? I'd be crushed. Don't ever do that, by the way. <laughs> kidding. If you want to, you can. But I would be crushed. At, well, it depends, it depends what we've been going through. Maybe I'd be relieved. I don't know. But, but let's say right now, I'd be crushed. If I then left the building, I would not be coming back. I'd be going home. I'd be at home cursing you, angry at you, those stupid people. This is not, this is, this is not going to happen, okay? What, how, do, they, do they really think they can get, this is my ego speaking, do you really think they're going to get anywhere without me as their pastor? Come on, this is ridiculous. I would not be coming back. Jesus is outside the building because the people have essentially said, we, we, don't, we don't need you anymore. We, we, don't, we don't want you anymore. But here he is, knocking on the door, wanting to come back into these people who have said that to him. He wants to come back in because of his love for his church. He wants to come back in because he knows I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness. I'm the ruler of God's creation. These, these people who are making me sick right now, but man, I, I love them so desperately. And I know that without me in the room, I know what their fate will be. Come on, let me back in, please. Let me back in. This is the grace and the love of Jesus for his church. Even those churches who so arrogantly have pushed him to the outside, he would knock on the door and say, let me back in. It won't go well for you if you don't let me back in. I think this is a bit like John 1 all over again, like the Gospel of John, the, 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 the biography of Jesus that John wrote in chapter 1. In there he says about the Jews and about Jesus coming to those who were his own, but his own rejected him. That's happening all over again with the church. I think sometimes we as Christians can look at the Jews and go, how stupid they were to not see Jesus when he came. And yet this, these Christians at Laodicea, not 100 years, not, not even 70 years after Jesus is gone, and they've forgotten about him too. And so Jesus is knocking at the door. Do they even recognize him? He's trying to get back to those who are his own. What will his own do when he knocks? I want to ask us collectively, Gateway Redlands, where is Jesus right now? And I don't mean he's on his throne in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. I mean, where is he in relation to us and let me drill down a bit more where is he in relation to your family where is he in relation to you personally because I think as Jesus knocks at the door of the church remembering that the church is not a building but the people it's a corporate thing but it's also an individual thing 
if you can resonate with this reality that you have become dependent on the things of the world to make you happy and to give you satisfaction and to give you some sense of purpose. And God to you, Jesus to you, has just been someone who will give a stamp of approval. If he's knocking at the door of your heart today, what will you do? Coming back to G.K. Beale again, this sums it up beautifully. The description of the church at Laodicea is probably uncomfortably close to the situation of the church in our own culture. We must adjust our priorities to place the kingdom first and be willing to give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose, our share in the kingdom of God. I love that. We must adjust our priorities to place the kingdom first and be willing to give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose, our share in the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on to say to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is again reminding the church at Laodicea and us today about his victory on the cross. He sat down at the right hand of the Father once he'd come to earth. He'd lived, he'd died, he'd risen again. And here is Jesus giving up his rights, giving up his prosperity. He gave up any claim he had to riches and wealth, God in the flesh, to save us to embody love for us. And this reward, this reward of victory came after that. The reward of the position at the right hand of the Father where he now rules all creation came after him giving up and turning away and rejecting any claim on riches and wealth. And his invitation to us as his followers is countercultural in the extreme. Jesus says to us, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Daily. This means it's a daily choice. The wrestle is daily. The wrestle with wealth and riches and the wrestle with wanting to build our own kingdom and bless ourselves and all that sort of thing is a daily battle. So we need to say, Jesus, again, my dependence is upon you. Let me walk like you. Let me turn my back on that to have the reward that I cannot lose. Let me turn my back on that which I can't keep to gain what I can never lose. You are the amen. You are the faithful and true witness. You are the ruler of God's creation. There is no other thing worth following. There is no other thing worth giving my life to than to you. And daily we need to make that declaration. Jesus knows that the battle's real. He knew that the battle was real for the Christians at Laodicea and it was a battle that they were losing and they needed to let Jesus in to have that victory again. They couldn't get victory for themselves. They needed to let Jesus back in to have that victory again. Look, we live in a wealthy, comfortable city. It's so easy for us, even as followers of Jesus, to get complacent to lose our humility and our hunger for God. Jesus says, there is, there is no place for complacency in my church. 
there is no place. And I will do all that I can, motivated by love, to make sure that that doesn't happen. And this call to follow Him is, is to humbly, the humility, humbly die to our desires and live for Jesus and His kingdom. That's that daily battle. And we talk about revival and we are expecting, we are praying for and expecting a season of revival to come upon God's church in the not too distant future. This is where it starts. Revival doesn't happen because the church does ministry really well. Revival doesn't happen because we've got great graphics, comfortable chairs, nice buildings, great programs, good kids programs. Not, they're not the signs of revival. Revival comes when Jesus... When Jesus, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the one who rules all creation, when he is the sole focus of his people, when our hearts are set on him and we're desperately chasing after him, that's when revival comes. That's what we pray for. If you were to get on a plane right now and go to a particular country somewhere around the world, you'd need to make sure you had clean water to drink if you drink water out of the tap you will be violently ill and it'll ruin your holiday for whatever reason you're going for if you drink the water out of the tap of some other countries it'll be much better than the water you drink at home and that water will be refreshing to you and you go man that is good water straight out of the tap but I tell you if you drink that water soon enough you'll be thirsty again and you'll need to drink some more water Jesus the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler over all creation offers us water to drink. And here's how he describes it. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, he's talking to a woman at a well here, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And as he knocks at the door, in his hand is a glass of living water, if you can picture it. And he, say, he would say to you today, everyone who drinks this water this water, sorry, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Why would we want to settle for anything else? There's so much out there that claims to satisfy our thirst. There's so much out there that claims to satisfy our hunger. And we fall for it daily. We think if we have those things, if we have that particular thing, we will no longer have a thirst and a hunger that needs to be satisfied. And we continually fall for it. We continue to drink. We continue to eat from those things, expecting satisfaction, even for those of us who know that's not the place to go to get it. The only thing that can truly satisfy our hunger and thirst long-term is the food and water that Jesus offers us today and he's knocking at the door. He's saying, repent of your dependence on worldly riches and wealth. Can't you see the satisfaction is only temporary? Find true wealth in your relationship with him again today. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.